The Late Lunch with Blackstone Motors. Order your Renault 191 today and avail of low APR finance, cashback and three-year servicing. Visit Blackstone Motors today or see blackstonemotors.ie. You're very welcome to Friday Afternoon's Late Lunch on LMFM Radio. You know, hasn't it been such a wonderful week? I I want weeks like this every week of the year. In on Wednesday and finished on Friday. Three-day weeks, all they sound just brilliant to me. Anyway, the first week of Late Lunch coming to an end uh, over the next couple of hours. And again, if you're only joining us for the first time this year, a very happy new year to you. We have a great line-up for you on the show today. Comedian Fred Cook is with us later from Kells. Yes, he's on Dancing with the Stars this year. Suzanne Lynch, she's from Trimming County Mead. She is the Washington correspondent for the Irish Times. She's right in there with Mr Trump, but she's with us in studio on Late Lunch this afternoon. But first up, after losing his doll seat in the 2016 general election, former councillor, senator and TD Dominic Hannigan hasn't really been in the public eye. But as we all know, life goes on and Dominic has actually moved to the west of Ireland, would you believe it, and turned his attention to pastures new. Oh, I'm so jealous over in that part of the country. However, with 2019 set to see Ireland stage a number of elections, is he about to make a comeback? Well, we're going to find out over the next while. Dominic Hannigan, you are so welcome back to LMFM Radio. Afternoon, Jerry. It's been probably about three years since I've sat in this chair uh, back in January uh, 2016. Yeah, so it's, it's that long ago. It is, it? yeah, yeah. yeah. Flies, though, doesn't it? Goes it so does, quickly. it does yeah. go by. Can I say this to you for the start? I have two distinct images of you in my mind on General Election Count Day. 2011, oh my God, the joy, unbridled there was when you topped the poll and took that seat for Labour. And then on the other hand, five years later, despair, when I, I just looked at you and you cut a lonely figure. It, does that sum up the political game, really? Absolutely. It's, it's, it swings and roundabouts. There's good days and there's bad days. It, that's the nature of the game. Uh, and nobody, I think, goes into it uh, without realising that. So if, you, if you're not willing to, to take the, uh, the, the losses, then stay out of the game because it ain't always going to be wins and we saw that but you get over things like that mm. and, uh, But did you just withdraw deals. then at that stage? Were, were, were you sick of it? How, how did you feel in the immediate aftermath? Because remember your job is gone in an instant isn't it? Gone like that gone in the blink of an eyelid uh, I took a few months off Jerry. I, I went away and I sat down and I, I decided I wouldn't say anything publicly because I wasn't sure how I'd feel about things uh, I reflected on, on what I wanted out of life and uh, and came to the conclusion that I still loved uh, politics, so I, I, I stayed involved behind the scenes, uh, doing things like uh, working on uh, the uh, the party's uh, um, reports on, on things like Brexit and stuff like that. But at the same time, I had to earn a crust. And one of the things I'd come across uh, when I was uh, in the Dáil, myself and a number of people went away uh, on, a, on a trip to the Far East on one occasion about oh, five years ago, six years ago. And I was having lunch with uh, our ambassador uh, in Vietnam and I said to him, look, what kind, of, uh, what kind of products could Ireland export to Vietnam? And he said, the one thing we need here is Irish whiskey. I'm like, right, okay. So I, I came back to Ireland and I wrote to a few distilleries and said, lads, uh, you should look into maybe exporting to the Far East. They're, they're gagging for Irish whiskey. And the distilleries came back to me and said, look, we're, we're finding it hard enough to meet demand of, of existing markets. So I thought, sure, there's an opening there for somebody. Uh, and it played in my mind and I, I rolled it over and rolled it over and I, and I learned a little bit more about the, the distilling process and the, the distilleries and how to set one up. And so when the opportunity came after I lost the seat, I thought, you know what, I'll give this a crack. So 
uh, myself and a friend of mine, Owen Holmes, who is also of, of this parish, uh, ex Cahirlock uh, of Meath County Council. Uh, he lives down the west. We toured and scoured the whole west of Ireland region, Sligo, Mayo, Galway. It took us about six months and then we found a site beside uh, Loch Mask. So we set up our distillery there and it's called Loch Mask Distillery. In Tourmacady. In I know it well because I want to mention, I cut my trout fishing big lake career on Loch Mask with the great late Oliver Hennessy who took me over to the Cahar Pier side which is the opposite side of the lake to you and Tourmacady but many's a time we drifted down that side of the lake it's just beautiful isn't it's, it? It's stunning it's a stunning part of the world it's so quiet it's so spectacular uh, there, there are downsides 300 days of, of rainfall every year but but with that comes fantastic lush scenery the hills are always alive with, uh, with uh, uh, botanicals and indeed we use the local lanes to to get uh, to forage things like elderflower, honeysuckle, fuchsia that we put into our gin and it gives us a local unique uh, flavour, an organic mm. kind of taste. So so we use the locality to, to kind of develop the, the artisan feel to, to, to the spurs that we're producing. So you set this up from scratch yourself and own. You began and uh, start-up business is not easy for anybody by any means. You, you mentioned there, ultimately it's whiskey you're going to produce, but it takes a few years, Dominic. You don't have your whiskey online or available yet. No, no it, takes, it takes, by law, in Ireland, Irish whiskey needs to be made and matured on the island of Ireland for three years. So we have some laid, it's called laying it down. We have some laying it down, but that won't be ready now for another couple of years, Jerry. In the meantime, you have to earn some money. So uh, we sell, we make and sell uh, gin and vodka. We're in uh, the Gale Tucked region, uh, Turmakiji. Yeah, you, you'll know people like Mick Lally and yes. people like that came from there, the great actor from Glen Rowe. Uh, so as a result of that, um, we're, uh, we're, we deal with the Irish uh, uh, organisation called Uderos Nagelt who who helped to kind of maintain yes. the language mm. in in and uh, support in business as well and support businesses so the one very important word uh, in the Gaelic region is jontus uh, and asperle that means grant yes. so you know they they try to help businesses but in return we have to um we have to give them commitments about the type of of stuff we do at our products for instance our vodka isn't spelt V-O-D-K-A. It's spelt the Irish way, V-O-D-C-A. Uh, and all of our labelling and all of our packaging is is uh, bilingual. It's Asperla and it's Asgeilga as well. Uh, so it kind of gives it a, a kind of a, a unique feel and uh, uses the area. And I think it, it gives us a, a bit of a, a selling point because a lot of people don't see Irish products out there like this, particularly so, not Irish gin. Absolutely. So this is keeping you ticking along. You have a number of people employed already, haven't you? We have you? indeed, yeah. we've Luckily, we've been able to employ people from the locality uh, which is great because you know some of them are Irish speakers and if it wasn't for uh, jobs like ours coming along um, they'd be on the boat Termakidi is uh, uh, really well known in places like Chicago uh, the whole of Chicago seems to come from County Mayo uh, and uh, so, so we're keeping those local people uh, in the locality employed and helping to support other businesses as well so that's a real plus for, for, for us it's great for me because I, I like to see uh, I like to see us being able to do something positive for the region So who are you selling to where are your products? Are you supplying shops in this country and outlets? And do visitors come? You mentioned the Chicago there and the American Lake. Do you get a lot of visitors to the distillery? All of the above. Uh, we've had since we opened uh, in last. 
July. I think the first visitors we took in were in the first week of July. We've had about 700 people in, Jerry. Looking at the stats, the statistics, about half of them are Americans. So they're tourists coming over. Uh, yesterday, for instance, we had 12 people in yesterday. Uh, a mix. Uh, half of them uh, uh, returned Americans home for a couple of weeks at the Christmas time. Uh, we, we just got a new licence uh, last, uh, last month. Uh, it was the first time any company in Ireland has got this licence. It was by, brought in by a new law last year. allows small distilleries and breweries to sell products to tourists. Okay. Uh, so we can now sell uh, our, our, our gin and our vodka to people who come in uh, to, to go on tourists, which is a great uh, boost for us and uh, no doubt help to kind of uh, I- increase sales over the coming year. Uh, but yeah, most, most of our tourists would be from abroad, but local people come as well. Mm. And you sell, have you outlets? I just to come back to that for a second, yes? Yeah, we have. We're, we're based, uh, we have uh, distribution deals with people around the west of Ireland. We're in iconic places in the west, like uh, Matt Malloy's Bar in Westport. We're in Ashford Castle. We're the local gin in Ashford Castle. Uh, we're Ballin Hinch Castle. Uh, many other places like that. The Ice House uh, that many of your uh, listeners would be familiar with. And in Dublin, we're uh, on sale in uh, uh, shops like uh, the Celtic Whiskey Shop in Dawson Street, or uh, in Ranelagh as well. Uh, so there's there's various places that we're we're getting around there. Last week, uh, somebody sent me a text of a picture of. Our our gin on sale in Clonakilty in a gin bar down there. So we're getting slowly out around. But it takes time, Jerry. It takes time. You are as enthusiastic about this as everything you've been, as I've known you in my life as well. Anything you've done, you throw yourself in there wholeheartedly. Now, come back to the political thing, because for the first time in ages, I saw you mentioned in dispatches in December saying, well, I might have an interest in this political game again. Where do you stand? Because as I mentioned next year, you have the local elections coming up all over the country, plus the Europeans as well. That's right. Uh, well, I, I'm... I'm still interested in politics, as as I said when I went away and after the last election, I, I thought, could I could I leave it behind me? But if it's in your blood, it's in your blood. So uh, there's very little you can do about that. I I still get motivated. I still get annoyed. I, I'm very annoyed about the the state of things at the moment uh, in Europe with the rise of the far right. I, I'm very annoyed with the uh, commentary you look at in the last few days coming out of the UK from some politicians there about Ireland's role in Europe and what we should be doing or what we shouldn't be doing. Uh, so I have I have a desire to to be involved still. So I am going to put my name forward uh, for the European elections in 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 May, and then it's, it's well it's over to the people. Uh, if I if I win, I win. If I lose, I get on with life. But I I, I do think I, I I've got something to offer and it's something that I want to do and I know that if I don't go forward I'll I'll be annoyed myself for the rest of my days. So you're officially saying today you're coming back into the race for Europe in 2019 on the Labour ticket in one of the Irish constituencies? That more or less. I think I think that kind of sums it up, yeah. yeah okay, yeah, so yeah. there you are. And what happens, happens. Yeah, so yeah. but you're not it's not going to be the be all and end all of your world. Well, it, what you what you what you realize and you know this as as well as anybody else, life goes on. Uh, it, you, you win some, you lose some. I, I'd love to win. I'd be in it to win. Uh, and let's see what happens. Interesting, interesting, isn't it? So you haven't got a total signal of it. As you said, you've been tipping away behind the scenes. Come back to this point in politics for a moment. You you talked about the UK and Europe there. What about the the landscape you see in Ireland today? Leo Varadkar is Taoiseach. uh, Fantastic uh, achievement for him to be elected leader of the party so young and lead the country as well. And a government depending on support from independents. How do you reckon they're doing? Having been in there in a coalition with Labour working with them for five years when you look at the Ireland of today? Uh, it's a good question. Uh, I think, I think, and I don't want to get too political on the show because I yeah. know we're not here for that. Yeah, yeah. I, I think, 
I'd, I'd, I'd like to say that a lot of the heavy lifting was done before uh, before the current government came in. Uh, so uh, they've benefited from uh, from that. Uh, I think what you've seen in the last number of years is they've had an ability to be able to to spend money in a way that the previous government, our government, didn't have. Uh, so as a result, that it's been managing the largesse on many occasions as opposed to wondering what not to cut. Uh, how have they done? I think they've done reasonably okay. I think there's a, a learning lesson there. The fact that, you know, the independents probably for the first time are, 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 are sampling power and realising the responsibilities that come with that. They certainly haven't brought in a huge amount of legislation, a lot less than the last government. But maybe you, you, you could say that the last government, our government, they brought in so many changes, positive stuff in many ways, uh, but cuts that were needed as well, that maybe the people need a bit of a breather for a few years. And I think that this government with its, you know, certainly couldn't be accused of overexertion. Let's put it like that. So I, I, I would have no, have no hesitation giving them at, at least a five out of ten. Uh, but as I said, I think they've benefited from the wind that, that was around. Back to your own party for a moment, because we're going to move on with the conversation. And, you know, it's been... Uh sort of uh, history repeating itself for Labour over the years, when they go in as the smaller party into coalition, inevitably yeah. at the next... And you suffered from that as well, as well as a change in the constituency layout yep. for yeah. you. Um, is there any light for Labour at the end of the tunnel, you know, going into, a, say, an election in 2020? Let's oh. say there will be none this year. Uh, and and now, have I, ta- I haven't said that. There will be one. Watch. Absolutely. <laughs> you never know. Uh, bad idea to predict this game, Jerry. Um, I, to answer your question, yes, there's going to be light at the end of the tunnel. The question is, how long is the tunnel? Uh, is, it might be, it might be a few, uh, it might be a while yet before things come around. Uh, since the foundation of the state, uh, there have been occasions where the smaller parties have have, have their their support has ebbed and flowed. Uh, Labour was down to I think three or four seats in uh, 34 years ago. So down, being down to seven with a number of of, of, of senators like Senator Jed Nash here in, in town. Um, it's it's they're low numbers, but I do think they'll come back. I think I think the the worry for the party was probably two years ago, about a year after the election, when you might have seen drifting people walking away, uh, people younger people not signing up. That hasn't happened. Uh, the, the party is is in a process of consolidation of, of rebuilding, uh, and and I think I, I think it'll be there. But I don't know exactly when the tide will turn, but the tides, tides turn. Yeah, that's it. That's the nature of the beast. So let's find out who is the real Dominic Hannigan. You are a Drogheda lad. And, uh, and it, if something interests me or makes me curious about your schooling early on. Why did you go to school? Was it in Ashbourne you went to school? Just outside Ashbourne. Uh, yeah, I was. I grew up in Forest Hill on the far side, as they say in, in town here. Sorry, sorry, uh, sorry, you're on the far side now. Let me say that. Oh, this you is can the argue far about side. That one all day. <laughs> <laughs> go on. Um, but we uh, we lived there in Forest Hill, just just off the uh, up beside Brookville. And uh, my mother, my dad was Garden Town, but my mother taught out the road out in a place called Cushionstown about four miles this side of Ashbourne I know it well yeah. so we used to go out every day uh, we went out uh, uh, for every day for eight years I've been on that road past past the leak uh, small little uh, school two, two, uh, two classroom school uh, it was great having a small, a, a small when I was in first class uh, 
I topped the class for the whole year, but I was also bottom of the class for the whole year because I was the only teach. I was the only pupil in the school uh, in that class. <laughs> so I had first class all to myself. Um, and I don't think it got... Uh, yeah, you, but there were small, small, small classrooms, uh, small teachers. And, uh, and that, then at the end of, uh, of primary school... I went to school in St Mary's uh, uh, CBS. Was that, was that a sea change? For oh, you huge! From, you know, huge. such a, a close knit yeah. environment to go into that. Absolutely, to to go from a, what was quite a, a kind of gentle, small rural school uh, where you knew everybody to be th- thrown into the melee that it was St Mary's in 1977. But sure, you 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 had to you had to get. Uh, you had to get used to it very, very quickly because they took no prisoners there. Uh, many people remember what, what it was like. Those look, it was a great school, but it, you know, it, it, it was. Yeah, 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 it was. Uh, yeah, they they knocked sink the, or the swim. Off. Yeah, sink or swim. A bit like you. politics as well. But yeah. then you went and you got stuck in there, and you went through the education system. Yeah. Was it then you started following Drogheda United? Because I know you were a huge Drogheda fan. I, yeah, I, I I actually I think I had my first season ticket. I might I, I, I there weren't very many uh, uh, kids season tickets, but I got I got my father to buy me my first season ticket, probably about nineteen seventy six, and it cost I think it was a pound. For the whole season, which was fantastic, and of course in those days it was Lure Stadium, so saw many great matches in the Lure Stadium, and uh, and I've followed Drogheda ever since, uh, and uh, yeah, and still go, still go to the uh, to the well. I, I try to make a few games every season, yes. every season, even though they're they're now uh, not the force they were ten years ago, but they're still you know they they come back. Like, yeah. I think like like my own party, they they eb, eb and flow absolutely yeah. roller coaster yeah. ride yeah. with them. That is for sure. Who is your favourite Drogheda player of all time because you know there are 100 years this year and this is coming up this is one of the things they're looking yeah. for to try and pick the, the top well, 11 Well I'm, I'm in the year of, of, of people like Leo Bourne and Cahill Muckian but the two local lads that of course I think everybody will remember were Jell Martin and uh, Jerome Clark and I wouldn't like to say which is my favourite but they both they entertained. They entertained. Two great players. Great days. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Great memories. So football and following football was part of it. Your studies. You go on, and then from St Mary's, you go to third level UCD. Yeah, UCD. Yes, I, I did. What did en- you study there? Engineering. Yeah, I want. I wanted to do politics. Uh, I wanted to do politics, but uh, my uh, the adults in my life at that stage said, uh, "You're mad in the head. Uh, you'll only get a job if you do something like engineering." And, and back in those days, there weren't many jobs around. So, so I took their advice and I did engineering, and, and indeed, I, I got a job uh, uh, as a result of that. But it, it meant that I had to kind of. Park the first love of my life for for a while, you know. mm. and on you went. Then, when you qualified in UCD, that wasn't the end of your studies. You went to London. Did you emigrate, Dominic? Had to emigrate. Yeah, no in, work here. Uh, in those days, uh, out of my class of forty-two civil engineers from UCD, thirty-nine took the boat. Thirty-nine. Yeah, three three were left. One got a job in Castle Blaney, I think, for some reason. There must have been a lot of work there. <laughs> but the rest of us all went, you know, and uh, most to the UK. Some went on to Australia or to the to the States. Uh, so there, there was it wasn't a case of where or if you were going. The, the, day, it, the only question was the date. What day are you going? So I uh, I, t- I took off on the 11th of August 1987 with uh, three of my classmates and that was it. That was... that was. How long um, were you away for? I was away for 17 years. Yeah, until 2004. 
Yep. So I actually never realised yeah. you had that sabbatical and that long of a sabbatical yeah, as yeah, well. Yeah. Seventeen years. Yeah, it's a long time. Yeah, it is. Yeah. And and over there you did resume studies because you, yeah. you you went other roads and you you really you're a brain box. Let me say. No, I'm not sure. But that I I was I was smart enough to know that I ha- hadn't enough qualifications uh, when I I started off in a company called Ovarup and and partners there, one of the biggest engineering companies in the in 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 the world now. Um, and to everybody else in my team, uh, they'd all got mad and some of them had doctorates and you kind of realised if you wanted to get on you needed to get a bit more and also I was, I was interested I got more interested in specific fields like transport planning so I thought I, I, I'll, I'll go back so I did night, night classes for a good few years Jerry. Uh, you know I remember there was, there was days when you'd be kind of getting out of work at six going straight to, to college and not getting to home to eat your dinner until ten o'clock at night it wasn't easy but the time to do it is in your 20s. So you did it. So you built on the qualification from UCD in engineering with transport and finance as well. That's Wasn't right. that part I, I, of it? I, I, so I did, yeah, yeah. became a holistic, like in a way, you know, all three linked and giving you more opportunities yeah. for employment. I think so. I think they gave me, they, they gave me, certainly they gave me a wider perspective about how, how things work, the, wor- the worlds of economics, the worlds of engineering. And it did give me more uh, opportunities, no doubt about that. So I, I, so I was able to kind of, um, I was able to use those qualifications for uh, for various jobs then. Was it London that whet your appetite for the politics? Because remember, in that period of time, there was a lot of change. And of course, Blair, uh, yeah. you know, Blair was rising up and coming to power. Yeah. Was that mm. an influence on you? I was always interested. Uh, but when I, got, when I got to London, I thought, I'm going to get a bit involved. So I joined the local Labour Party in Islington. Um, and, uh, and, of course... Uh, fought in a few elections I lived across the road I mean directly across the road from Jeremy Corbyn so he was my next door neighbour for about four years I used to see him every morning getting on his bike he always cycled everywhere so he'd get on his bike going down to a local meeting or coming back um, and, and I was uh, yeah I, 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 I got uh, I got involved doing things like campaigning for the I never ran or anything like that and it was only I was happy being a back uh, a backroom type person until the Iraq war came along and I was on the march with uh, about I reckon must have been three million other people uh, going through uh, London in 2003 against the, the Iraq war and we were all sure that there's no way Blair will turn his own people and go to war. He did and I thought that that's kind of did it for me. I thought you know what I'm not going to sit back and let somebody else make these decisions. I'm going to try to do what I can uh, and get more involved. So I thought right the only way to do that is to run and I thought right so that's when I decided I'm going to give it a go. And did you run in the UK or come back no, home? No, I came back here and then I, I ran in the local elections in in, uh, in uh, the Mead, in the Slane electorate area, which stretches all the way from the coast, Bettystown, Laytown, up to Slane uh, in the 2004 locals. And luckily got got elected, yeah. Yeah, and that was the start of it then, in as a councillor, then you ran, I know the first general election you weren't elected in, but you came to the Senate then, you got a Senate nomination, That's became right. a centre, which yeah. led on then to TD and yeah, serving at that, yeah, so, that way. So I, I, I went from being a, a, a councillor in 2004 to uh, Senator in 2007 and then TD in 2011. Yeah. Mm, interesting, yeah. interesting. The way you, you get in and it shows you where an interest is cultivated elsewhere and then you bring yeah. it home and away you go. No, people may not know this. You're into your cycling big time and your exercise, aren't you? Well, I like to keep, I think, I think you, you like to keep as fit as possible and not getting any younger. So it's important that you get out there and, 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 and keep what you have um, in shape. Um, I do a lot of running. I'd run four times a week. I don't run fast and I don't run long distances, but I run regularly. And I think that's the, the that's, that's all I, I'm trying to do. In terms of cycling, I, I, I do go cycling. Um, I try to get a week a year cycling 
just gone away uh, and I'm, I'm in the middle of, well I'm nearly finished uh, a trek along the Danube the Danube is the uh, longest river in Europe it's 2,900 kilometres or something like that mm. and it starts at the French-German border and it finishes at the Black Sea um, in Romania and so I've cycled all the way uh, year on year I do for the last six years I've done about 500 kilometres four or 500 a week and then I kind of I go away I go home and come back and pick up where I left off so I've gone all the way from the French-German border just to south of Bucharest in Romania so I've won week left in me to, to get to the Black Sea so I'm hoping to do that later on this year So you're going to go back and do that at that yeah, stage Yeah, pick up a bike, rent a bike for a week and, uh, and, and cycle, but I don't kill myself you know, you're talking about 50 kilometres a day and I'd, 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 I'd eat well and I'd have enough fruit with me and enough water with me you know? mm. It's just, but it's good fun just to kind of uh, just to kind of get out there in the open and it's very safe, cycling in Europe is so much different uh, than cycling around here, the traffic is much more, uh, is segregated so you're, you're, you're it's geared for it, isn't it's it? Geared for it, yeah. That's we something need to we do could more. do better uh, here, we, isn't it, Dominic? We could. You know, the, the one thing that we've done really well in the last few years is the greenways. And I'm, I'm not sure if you've been over to places like the, the greenway between uh, Westport and Ackle. It's fantastic to go mm. cycling or even walking or running along. Uh, and we're just starting to realise that there's a, a market there for tourism. And uh, one of the growth industries for us, certainly because of the beauty of, of Ireland, is tourism. And we need to be doing more about promoting things like greenways. And I know there's proposals uh, for for our own greenways in County Meath, for instance. Uh, and we need to be. I, I think we we could be investing in them because they'll pay dividends. Mm, I think the, uh, the the plans are well advanced from Mornington to take this. You know where we have the walk at the minute up by the canal to Oldbridge, but to run that all the way to Slane and into Navan, you know, from the sea. Yeah. Wouldn't that be marvellous? Yeah, yeah, that should yeah. be done really as yeah. a, a matter. Of priority, yeah, yeah, and the numbers that would use that uh, would would probably exceed any estimates that you're seeing going around at the moment. Mm. That's been the experience to date in things like the Greenway. They predicted something like a hundred thousand in the first year. There were a couple of hundred thousand years, that you know. So mm. it's a uh, it's uh, it's good money well spent. Yeah. Just before we finish, a couple of things uh, in in the recent past: the marriage equality, which I know you have That's particular right. interest yeah. in as well, passed. Yeah, uh, the abortion referendum yeah. passed substantially as well. Yeah. This is a changed land. Oh, indeed. Uh, it's a changed land in my lifetime and in, in, in your lifetime as well. Uh, like You know that uh, I, I, I was I, I came out as gay probably 2005, I think, now. And I was one of the first, uh, I think, I was one of the first people that did, that, that did politicians that did it publicly. And in those days, um, there weren't, it, it was... I, it was more unusual than now. Nowadays, uh, young people uh, have have uh, have benefited from, I suppose, from uh, the, the the changes that have been made to Ireland over the last number of years. We saw with the repeal of the eight last year changes there that that I believe I know. There's differences of viewpoint here, but I believe will will help to to make people's lives better in the country. Um, I think we're really lucky in this country to benefit from such a wide and open uh, view within the population about, you know, about how important it is that people have got the ability to to live their own lives, to get educated, to get housed, uh, to get work. Uh, I, I think I, I think sometimes we are hard on ourselves as a nation, and there, but there are positives out there uh, that we that we should realise uh, that uh, uh, that we are in a lucky place and that um, and that we need to fight to make sure that we keep those uh, those improvements that have been made. So I'm I'm very positive about the Ireland that we live in. 
I think we're one of the best countries in the world and I think that we just sometimes need to pat ourselves on the back for that. It's important to say that at times. You are so right because we are and can be very, very hard on ourselves. Great to see you again in LMFM this afternoon on Late Lunch. Wish you well with the year ahead, whatever that brings to you. And good luck with the distillery. And I'll just say to everybody, if you're in the west of Ireland... Check out Tour McKeady. It's a beautiful wee place on the shores of Loch Mask. And call in and say hello to them in the Loch Mask distillery. You'll be very welcome, especially if you say you're from Louth or Meath. That's absolutely right, Jerry. Love to see them all there. Great to see you. Thanks, Dominic, for dropping Thanks, in. Thanks, Jerry. The Late Lunch with Blackstone Motors. Order your Renault 191 today and avail of low APR finance, cashback and three-year servicing. Visit Blackstone Motors to APR finance, cashback and three-year servicing. Visit Blackstone Motors today or see blackstonemotors.ie. My next guest on Late Lunch this afternoon hails from Trim and works for the Irish Times. Suzanne Lynch is the newspaper's Washington correspondent, having previously served as the Times European contributor from 2013 to 2017. I was just thinking, her coming here today, how would I sum this up? From the frying pan to the fire? Let's find out. She's with me in the hot seat. Suzanne, you're very welcome to the show. Good afternoon. Thanks for having me. Thank you for joining me on Late Lunch this afternoon. Well, is it? Was it? Well, you're right. I mean, I thought I was in Brussels for four years and that was back when Ireland was still in a bailout and we'd got the IMF EU bailout and we were just coming out of that. So a lot of my work, uh, my first year in Brussels was around that. Uh, And then the refugee crisis happened and I was around covering that down in the border and Turkey and Syria and different refugee camps. And then um, and then Brexit happened. Uh, That happened about six months before I left. So I thought I was busy there. And then uh, I was moved to Washington to take up the position as Washington correspondent. Now, I have to admit, I thought I was going when there would be another president uh, in place. Myself, like everyone else, did not think that Donald Trump was going to uh, win the election in 2016. So um, I was all imagining myself for this possible job that, you know, I was going for this interview in the Irish Times for the Washington job, but always thinking it would be Hillary Clinton, not expecting Donald Trump. But look, ultimately it might be a better thing for being a journalist anyway, because um, Donald Trump, the Trump president, is just so relentless, so... You know, just so news heavy all the time that it's just a very different job, I think, than it would have been under Hillary Clinton. I think that things would have been a lot calmer. She would have been taking over from Obama, a Democratic uh, president, and it would have been a lot more predictable. Uh, but of course, for obvious reasons, it has been nothing uh, nothing uh, predictable at all about the Trump presidency. We're on this side, and, and when you're a bit removed, you wonder the, the spin you get on news, because mm. we get a lot of British news here as well as Irish news also. Is it a chaotic as the picture is painted. Yeah, I think to an extent, um, I do think it's chaotic and I think that's the, one of the main problems for Donald Trump. Uh, he was he had no experience as a politician and frankly, I think it shows. I think that's one of the issues with him, the people around him. There's obviously been a huge churn of staff but he's a man who, who I don't think is used to working in this environment, he's used to working for himself essentially um, and he's a combative, uh, conflict-driven kind of an individual. So I do think it's chaotic But I do think there is a certain amount of spin. We do have to remember that, you know, half the country, not quite, he didn't win the popular vote, but he did win the election. And more than 60 million people across America voted for Donald Trump. And it's always important to remember that. So uh, as a journalist, I think in particular, it's very easy to get caught up in Washington because it's so busy and there's so much happening in Washington in terms of policy and the chaos of the Trump administration. Uh, it's always important to take the temperature of the of the country and get out there. I've done that a bit and it's always been informative because it reminds you 
of the very different reasons people voted for Donald Trump. So I think there was a stereotype about the Trump voter, the kind of white working class wearing the red cap kind of voter. And yes, there was that was the key to his victory in, in the key swing states because a lot of those kind of voters would have traditionally voted Democrat. But there are also millions of people across Kansas, across Nebraska, you know, big rural states of America, uh, millions of Republican voters who also voted for Donald Trump. Uh, because he was a Republican candidate, they were never going to vote for Hillary Clinton. Um, and that's so I think it, it's very, very easy uh, to simplify uh, the Trump phenomenon, a bit like what people tend to do with Brexit, I think, a bit. You know, we do have to remember, I think here's a little bit of group think about Brexit, you know, oh, isn't Britain, you know, making the mistake leaving? I think that, I agree, but you do have to think about why people voted and, and you know, we can't patronise people either. So that's a challenge in, in covering the Trump administration. I think he's got a point in that some of the media is biased against him. Unlike here, um, there's no real culture of national a national broadcaster like a BBC or an RTE. There is PBS in America, but it's, it's not as big. So what, what ends up happening is that cable news uh, dominates. So you've got Fox News on one side, which is very pro-Trump, but you also have CNN and MSNBC, which are extremely anti-Trump. No one is in the middle. No one is trying to see it from both points of view. And I think that's a real, it, 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 it's a failure of American society in a sense. And I think it kind of entrenches the political divisions that are now uh, characterising America so much. And I think we have to say as well, some of the key indicators in terms of economics in America mm. are pointing very favourably for Trump as well. Mm. You know, a lot of things have gone his way. Yes. And he'll point this out as well. He'll say this very clearly. And people who voted for him are saying, look, this guy mm. is making a difference. Yes, exactly. I mean, I think the figures are that America now is in its ninth year of growth. Growth. It's the kind of second longest period of economic expansion for, for decades in America. Now, a lot of that was luck. And maybe Obama did the hard work when Obama came in. That was after the own uh, their own financial crisis in two thousand and eight, two thousand and nine. Um, but look, the, the economic figures have been very strong. GDP is very strong. And just as I'm speaking to you there, I saw fresh figures coming out this morning from the US showing that job numbers again exceeded expectations. More people are in work. So this is really boosting Donald Trump. In saying that, in the last few weeks, actually of two thousand and eighteen, there were jitters on the stock market. Um, there are worries uh, that about what he's doing with trade in China that that could really have a negative impact on the Chinese on the world economy. Um, also, he introduced uh, a lot of tax cuts. This really helped the pocket of uh, the everyman, if you like. But there is now a concern that the kind of economic benefits of that are going to fade over time. So that he's going to get a short term boost. The economy has got a boost from that. That's going to inevitably fade. Uh, so I think, and that's something that worries Donald Trump. He's a man who styles himself as a successful businessman. He watches the stock market. Um, he thinks he knows that this is something that plays well with a supporter. So he will be worried if things start changing in the economy. You know, we could see he's, he's been criticising the Federal Reserve that makes interest rate policy in the United States. Um, but I do think, and, and also in America, I think different than here, a lot more people, members of the public, citizens, have an interest in the stock market through their pension funds, their retirement funds, and they, yes. they're, they're very tuned into that. So if the stock market is going down, this does not play well for Donald Trump. So I think that's a worry that this could start uh, slowing down a bit in 2019. Now, while I have you here, I want you to do a little explaining for late launch listeners and the LMFM listeners today to simplify this for us because we're watching the shenanigans on Capitol Hill with Nancy Pelosi mm. and the change of guard 
there and the Democrats uh, taking the majority mm. in that House. So that is the bottom House representatives. Mm. Yeah. Then above that you have the Senate yeah. and then you have the President. Yeah. I want to ask you this. They've made a proposal because in case you're in some other planet or you're not following American politics, there's a shutdown in government. Yeah. It's been on there for what, 12 days or more? Yeah. Uh, and there's a proposal now already to end that blockade, to fund government and part fund security on the Mexican mm. border. The mm. president wants funding for this bloody wall yeah. that he's talking about. Yeah. Will you explain, can the representative at the House of Representatives you know, make a difference? Well, and certain things they can, but you're right, Nancy Pelosi was elected, they, they won the majority in the mm. midterm election, so the Democrats are in control, but only in one of the two houses. Yes. So that's crucial. So yesterday she was appointed as a speaker and there was a whole song and dance that she's presented a new proposal to end the shutdown. But really, you know, she knows that Republicans in the Senate, who are still in the majority, you see, in the Senate, need everybody needs to be in, in agreement. So the Senate can veto this? Well, yeah, they, they'd get two versions of, the, of it and then they would kind of they would hash it out, negotiate it, and then ultimately the president has to sign it. Nothing will happen. He gets the bill. They, they decide on a, on a bill and then it goes to Donald Trump for signing. So they have to agree something he's going to sign, essentially. And he says, I ain't yeah. signing anything unless this wall is exactly. funded. Exactly. So that is the big problem now. And um, the, the, but I, I predict, it's very hard. One thing about the shutdown is that he's not going to let this go. You can't just let the government shut down. Lots of the buildings are closed in Washington. People aren't getting paid. It will end up having to be clo- you know, st- be stopped at some point. But what may happen here is some kind of a fudge, I think. Donald Trump is very good at claiming victories out of very small victories. Uh, so what you might see is Donald Trump is looking for five billion they're you know they're offering 1.3 somewhere in the middle and then I think what's going to become clear is that the definition now of a wall he seems to be backtracking it on that saying well it doesn't actually have to be a big concrete wall it can kind of be slats or even kind of wiring because in some parts already there are walls at some of the border points between Mexico and America so actually I think he will he will end up being happy with something that's not a full blown wall but maybe something kind of in between so I'd say you'll see some kind of a of a compromise ultimately is the only way out of this because both people can block it both sides can block this so they're going to have to work together so this is the irony before now, before today for the first two years of his presidency the Republicans were in control of everything now they're not so the big failure that Donald Trump uh, is facing is that even when he had when the Republicans his party were in control they didn't get the wall done so it's very unlikely that they will maybe now uh, when Democrats but are in power but I think you see that that might benefit Donald Trump because I think he likes a foil he likes to be able to blame someone else so he's going to say oh well it's Nancy Pelosi and the Democrats fault so in a way this ironically having another party in power in the House of Representatives may benefit him because he loves that kind of conflict, I think, and he can blame them when things go wrong. That is such an interesting angle on it as well. And thanks for telling us Mm. that today. The other thing is, isn't it a real irony on a day when over 100 women, the greatest number ever, Mm. take seats in the House of Representatives from diverse backgrounds Mm. of people who he's trying to, in a way, marginalise, who their parents and grandparents came to America, made a new life for themselves, Mm. and here they are being elected one or two Mm. generations on and yet he persists with this pulling everything back inward towards yeah. America. Yeah, you're right. There's lots of new faces in Congress now. First Muslim woman, I think. Yes. Youngest woman in Congress. First Indian, um, um, Native American Indian extract. Yeah, Palestinian woman. woman. Palestinian. Yeah, yeah, so yeah. it's a huge kind of, it's representing, if you like, the diversity of America. But you're right in that Donald Trump is only speaking to his base. This is what differentiates him from other presidents. 
president leaders of any country are supposed to unify. They're supposed to represent the entire country. And you always hear that kind of sentiment from presidents when they're inaugurated. Not Donald Trump. He has actually tried to deepen those divisions between who's for him and who's against him. So he's consistently speaking to his supporters who are still supporting him. But I think maybe the problem for him is that he's not reaching out to anyone else. In fact, he's alienating them more. And I think that's going to be a problem for him in the election, uh, that he's not reaching out. He's not going to make any more gains. Um, And and that's his strategy. And as I say, I think that's going to backfire. And I think uh, that... um, he he believes that criticising the opposition is, is the way to, to shore up his support. And what we've seen from some of his rallies, that seems to work with a lot of his supporters. I want to take a short break. Isn't she fascinating? I knew she would be. She's from Trim. She's one of our own in the North East here and she's right at the heart of politics in America and the most powerful man in the world. Here's the thing now, right? He's halfway through, let's mm. say, his two years and he's they have to be looking already at his re-election. I want to ask you a couple of things about that that intrigue me. Could he be opposed, number one, from within the Republican family? Okay, well, that's a good question. I would have said no until quite recently. Uh, One of the reasons being that Donald Trump has already set up a a serious re-election campaign which has already raised, I think, maybe over 100 million or some some huge amount of money. It's called American First, surprise, surprise. And a lot of kind of very experienced Republicans have been out there kind of getting that going. A lot of, you need a lot of money to run in America. So that would suggest that he's kind of, unlike the last time when he was kind of late out of the traps, he's very organised. So that would suggest that he was, would. In saying that, uh, it is possible that somebody will go against him on the Republican side. Uh, number one, What's very interesting in the last few days, one of the things I've noticed in, uh, since he's been inaugurated is that the Republican Party, his own party, most of whom did not want him as their president, you know, they opposed him when he ran, have really rode in behind him. And I think it's a it's a failing really on the Republican Party. They've let him away with a lot. Um, and but, and the, but there were always a few critics of Donald Trump in the Senate. There was John McCain who passed away this year, and Jeff Flake and Bob Corker were very critical. They're Republicans in the Senate. But they're gone. They decided not to run again. So you kind of have, everybody who's left has been quietly supportive of Trump, except Mitt Romney, who people may remember from former presidential campaign, quietly won a Senate seat in November, and he's coming into the US Senate. And this week, he wrote a big opinion piece in the Washington Post, very critical of Donald Trump, essentially saying he's not up to the job, that he's not up, you know, he hasn't risen to the mantle of president. So this is... you know, prompted speculation. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile. And the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time. There's Granger, Offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger, For the ones who get it done. 
that perhaps he could take on Donald Trump for the Republican nomination. He ran before for president. He's quite, com- you know, he's quite popular among a lot of Republicans. He's in a way an anti-Trump figure. He's he's a Mormon, um, very kind of clean living, uh, very rich though as well. Uh, he was he was uh, involved in finance, which would please a lot of Republicans as well. Um, but there's now speculation that he could run. So if I think it's something the the other thing to watch for, I suppose, this year is that the Russia investigation, the Mueller investigation, has happened. It has been taking place, and it may. Rep- if there's something very negative from that, uh, then A, you could see Republicans kind of panicking and saying we need to, a bit like what happened to Richard Nixon. His own party started deserting him and then he knew he was in trouble. You could see that. Um, and then they, they're looking for another candidate. And you could see Trump maybe standing down if he feels, you know, that he he'll call it a witch hunt, that, you know, he was pushed out essentially. Maybe Mike Pence will get in and then he could even ask for a pardon or something. So that's, I'm increasingly thinking that's more possible. Uh, but look, all signs are though that he has said he's going to run in 2020. Mm. But I think whatever coming out of this Russia investigation could indicate Will be next. the key thing. Yeah. It'd be a bit of a blow to him if somebody went in his own ranks, chuck him on, that's yeah. for sure. And it'd be an annoyance for him in having to go through that process mm. before he would tackle the main uh, opposition, which are the Democrats. Yeah. Now, coming on to that, yeah. in the name of God, will mm. they get a candidate? Because yeah. I'm looking at names, Joe Biden, Michael Bloomberg, yeah. you know, yeah. etc. Is there somebody... Well, this is in the next few months. We're probably going to see the candidates emerge. Uh, they uh, by ne- by this autumn, you know, autumn two thousand nineteen, we'll have a very good idea of who's running. They'll be going up to those early states that vote Iowa, and New Hampshire, uh, trying to get support. There's been a couple of names that have already said they're going to run. Elizabeth Warren. Um, has is essentially announced she's going to run. Bernie Sanders might make a run. Joe Biden, as you mentioned. Uh, my money at the moment, but <laughs> I should not make predictions, but I think who may run at least is Beto O'Rourke. People may have heard about him in the midterm elections. Obviously, he's an Irish name. It goes back quite a way, his Irish ancestry. Uh, he's a Texan member of Congress, um, uh, fluent Spanish speaker. That's where his name Beto comes from. So down in the border area of between Texas and Mexico, he ran for a Senate seat in Texas, which is very Republican. He's a Democrat. Now, he didn't win. Ted Cruz ultimately won that seat, but he put up a very good fight and he raised a lot of money from around the country. And I saw him, I went to Austin, to Texas, and I heard him and I saw him. And I was a bit cynical saying, you know, is this guy kind of all, all talk? But I have to say, I thought he was electric. And he was very like Obama, a very good speaker, a young, dynamic, uh, talked, gave a me- message about unifying the country. He, he wasn't negative. He, he, he was talking, he didn't even criticise Donald Trump. He was talking about what connects us more as Americans, you know, more than divides us. That kind of rhetoric, I think that could work. And I think maybe he would, he could get support around the country. In saying that, a lot of people would say he's too much to the left. You know, he wants to legalise marijuana. And, you know, the, so maybe he is middle ground enough. But he's definitely the right age. I think one of the issues of Democrats is that nearly everyone I've mentioned there, Elizabeth Warren, Joe Biden, etc., you know, will be in their 70s. That could be an issue uh, for Democrats. There's also a few women who said they may run. Kamala Harris, very good senator from California. Yes, I saw her this week. Yeah, very She's interesting, isn't she? But uh, some people would think that they don't, that the, some people would argue that they need a, a kind of a, somebody who could get the working class male vote because that is the vote that ultimately swung the election for Donald Trump. Um, and someone like Bill Clinton, for example, could talk to you know people in the South, for example, that that those kind of working class workers, uh, and that they need. Whereas Hillary Clinton was seen as not being able to communicate with those at all. So uh, maybe somebody like Joe Biden would fit that mold completely. 
but he is very old uh, and he kind of, I've seen him again at an event actually in the Irish Embassy and, you know, he's really pushing on and whether he, you know, has got it for this run, it's difficult to know. No, you're right at the heart of it. You're in this room and this man is there. Trump and all his advisors and aides and the spokespeople, etc., is it intimidating? And in a way, you mentioned the polarisation of the press. You're either for him or against him and getting, you know, uh, neutral commentary yeah. on him may be difficult. Are people fearful? Could you be kicked out like he's done with some yes, of them? Yes, yeah. I was at that press conference actually. Where, there. Yeah. yeah, the one with Jim Acosta. <gasps> so if you look carefully, you can see my, my little face in the background. I didn't realise I was on air <laughs> until I started getting text messages from people. <laughs> so that was the day after the midterm elections now. And me, like everybody else, I've been up half the night and I was writing stuff for for the paper and for online. And we got a notification. I'm, I would be on the kind of White House mailing list for all the journalists. And we, we got a notification saying the president is, is holding a press conference in maybe an hour. And I live a very walk of 20 minutes maybe from the White House. But I'd loads to write. One of the, my problems in my job is the time difference. So you're five hours behind in, in the US. So you're kind of yeah. a, always under pressure writing. So I said, God, I've loads to write now because it's the day after the midterms. Will I bother going to the press conference? So I said, right, I better go just in case. So off I went and uh, I'm accredited to go into the, the press conference. And I had a good bit of security, obviously, the Secret Service have to do a check beforehand. But I, I'm pleasantly surprised at how easy it is. Like when I was in Brussels, it was nearly more security getting into buildings. Whereas here or in Washington, you know, I was pleasantly surprised that I can go to, you know, the Irish Times can, can go into these news conferences. So I went in and then he started this this rant of a news conference that went on for 90 minutes. And that clip with Jim Acosta has been played again. And some people have criticised Jim Acosta, the journalist, for taking too much time. I really don't agree with that. I mean, I think it was 100% Trump's fault. I think he instigated it. He actually ran that. Usually in press conferences, um, there's a mediator. There's somebody who's taking the questions. He's managing things. But sure, he, he manages his own because he's a, a performer and he was on TV for so long. And I think he purposely picked these people, um, you know, that he could, as I say, he thrives on conflict. He loves that. Um, but no, I was I was very shocked at that. Um, being in there, he's a very physically imposing man. He's, he's well over like six foot two, three quite overweight but very very big and has got this kind of aggressive stance where he dominates the space and as I say he's on his own up on that pedestal no press people beside him and you know over the years I've been in lots particularly in Brussels I've seen lots of people like Angela Merkel David Cameron and I just was sitting there our own Tisha Enda Kenny or or Leo Varadkar and I was just sitting there thinking could you imagine someone behaving the way Donald Trump now is behaving where it was just this air of violence in the room and you know, I just think there's a sense of unreality. He's become detached from reality and from the expectations that surround his office and any leadership position. And I think it's it's very sad for America. And I think, so in turn, does that mean that people are intimidated? You said he's an intimidating man. Does it intimidate no. journalists not to take him on? Well, it's, no, I don't think it does because a lot of people said, oh, why didn't people get up and walk out of the Jim Acosta? But th- that's what Trump would like. He would love to have no journalists asking a question and just to speak directly to people through Twitter um, and through kind of like the way dictators in the old Soviet Union used to speak on, you know, in Romania for three hours and, and speak. That's what it reminded me of being at, something like that. Uh, where do you need the media to question him and ask him the tough questions? So I think, no, I think the White House correspondents should not boycott the White House because of that. They need to keep asking questions. That's what's uncomfortable for him because he lies consistently. He, he misrepresents things on Twitter all the time. Um, I mean, that's a whole other argument, the fact that he has exploited social media so successfully. But it's it's quite dangerous because he can say things straight away, straight away that, that nobody can question. 
and and of course his famous phrase fake news so I think it's very important that the media keeps questioning him and are there in the White House when they can You lived there close by was it a sea change from Europe to America do you like living in Washington you know like we hear about America and all its ills I'm going to come on to the gun crime thing in, in, in a little while but uh, is it a nice place to be yeah Washington is a great city it's very international you have people from all over the world journalists people working maybe the IMF is based in Washington for example and so it's very international and it's a bit like Brussels that way uh, but it's a pretty competitive place um, you know even in the media scene uh, the journalists are quite competitive. You know, the American way is kind of they're very confident. Uh, there's none of this kind of sitting at the back row and hoping somebody will come to you. It should be very kind of it's just a different culture. Uh, so I, I do I do really like Washington. But as I say, I think it's really important to get outside of Washington because then you see the real America. And there's no, it's such a bubble in Washington and along the East Coast in New York as well. Whereas, you know, this year before the midterms, I was in Texas, I was in Kansas. Um, Georgia, all the St. Louis, Missouri, and you know, really getting to know what makes people tick. Like that's the challenge is to get out. Um, but this is Trump's big, big talent. He he ends up dominating the news to such extent that people are are not writing about other things that are going on in the country, and they get neglected. Much more important things are happening all the time. Whereas everybody's obsessed with the soap opera of the Trump administration that he's in fact blocking coverage of more important things that are going on. Irish Times Washington correspondent Dr. Suzanne Lynch. <laughs> Maya Culpa is with me on Late Lunch. I'm going to tell you about that in a moment. A few questions for you first. Kathleen wants to know, why is Trump not asking the Mexicans anymore to pay for the wall like he originally did? Very good. Very good, Kathleen. Well, very good question. Actually, as I mentioned earlier, he tends to kind of claim victories where there are none. He has actually suggested that Mexico is already paying because America has renegotiated this trade deal with Mexico, NAFTA. And he claims that the savings America are going to make from this means that indirectly Mexico are funding the wall. So, I mean, it's, it's kind of a ridiculous argument. Yeah, that's his, his the line. way he's twisting it yes. again. Eric, Happy New Year to you. Lovely to hear from you again on Late Lunch. Eric wants you, when you go back yeah. beside the man, to get a little fuckle in his clues, to ask him to build a high fence around the Amazon and save it as a sanctuary before it's too late. Will we all know what Trump oh. thinks of this whole global... Look, his, his issues on environmental, he pulled out the Paris Climate Change Agreement, um, you know, he's a supporter of fossil fuel. Um, there's been a lot of changes actually affecting the ownership of national parks and lands, beautiful wide swathes of land out near Utah uh, that a lot of Republicans want to use basically for exploration, for mining and, and that, that kind of thing, um, which is pretty shocking. And, and these could have a real legacy after he leaves office. So, look, I think his environmental credentials are from another century and a lot of Republicans, a lot of people in his own party actually really back him on that. Now, let's talk a bit about you and bring it all back home for a few minutes before we do have to let you go. You're from Trim in County Mead. Tell us about your family. How many are in the Um, family? Well, I'm the eldest of four and my mother Jane, some people around the country probably know her from music. She involved in Trim Musical Society and doing um, music. I think Freddie's who's on today. Fred Cook is on in the after three, yes. He was, I think, knows my mother from music class in Kells. So, um, but my mother's originally from Dublin and my dad is from Kells, from Carlinstown in Kells. So, yeah, we grew up in Trim and music was a very big part of my background. Um, I went to school where in Trim, the local secretary school in Trim. Um, but when I went to college, I did music and English uh, in UCD. And then I realised I really loved English literature. I, I wasn't really that into it in school, um, but I really got into it in college. Uh, and I kind of realised I really liked writing. 
Um, so then I went on and did graduate study um, in, I went to Cambridge University in England, which was a fantastic Ooh. experience, <laughs> which was the mo- most difficult thing I've had to do, I have to say. Studied there and did, did a PhD and kind of wanted to get into maybe university lecturing. But around that time, I started really saying, well, I'd love journalism. So I started like a lot of people do. It's the only way I started doing student journalism when I was in Cambridge and getting involved in the local paper, student paper there, writing book reviews and that kind of thing. And then started uh, contacting, I had no contacts or anything, but, um, you know, yourself, Jerry, trying ringing people and uh, contacting uh, newspapers and radio stations. And for years I was doing, writing different pieces for the Irish Times and different publications in England. And then I got a bit of work in RTE. And it's also kind of a a life lesson that um, I'd been working as a researcher on Morning Ireland. And then one day somebody uh, got sick and they were supposed to do the business news on, on the Drive Time programme. John Murray, who usually does it, was sick. And they said, we're stuck. Somebody has to present the business news. And he trained me in and that day I did it. And then I kind of got into business journalism because that was around the time of the financial crisis. And I had no real knowledge of business. As my biz- accountancy teachers from Trim would, would remember, um, it was never something I thought, thought I was interested in. But I actually found the whole financial business news very interesting and you know, I think if you want to be a journalist, you have to throw your hand at everything, anything. You have to be able to write. So and be true. Tra- it's, you know, and you, you have to say yes to everything and say, right. And, and you know, the editors there said, well, look, you're showing an aptitude for you can write and you, you learn on the job. So I began kind of being a business journalist then in the Irish Times for about two or three years. And I loved it, as I said, and it was great practice, just writing every day and uh, and then got the job in Brussels for four years. So, th- so look, it's a great career. I love it. But it was hard. You know, uh, I, I really had to work hard at just making the contacts and not getting disillusioned because you just... And that, this is a time when all my friends was the Celtic Tiger and everybody seemed to be doing great and their great jobs and all was well in Ireland. And I was there ringing up people trying to get bits of freelance shifts but it did pay off eventually and it's been worth it because I love it. Oh my God, the rest is history, <laughs> as they say at the end of every wonderful story. Now, this year ahead for you, again on a personal basis, is going to be a massive one because you are getting married. Yes, I am. Yes, yeah. I'm getting married in March, at the end of March. Uh, actually getting married in England, We're going back to Cambridge. So, But it's the day after Brexit, the 30th of March. So... Um, we hope. In your life, <laughs> do you know something I'm just open. thinking? You, we, we talked about it earlier on. You know, I said frying pan to fire. Yeah. You, you're one that arrives with things on significant dates, yeah, aren't you? Yeah, that was the only date available now. Oh, was it? But hopefully they, won't have, they will have stockpiled the food and all that <laughs> in the sure event of a no will. deal. Who is the lucky man? <laughs> so um, it's an Australian guy. Barton is his name, unusual name. McFarlane and he's originally from Sydney in Australia but uh, he's in media as well he's been living in the UK for years uh, he works in the BBC uh, and uh, we, Where did you meet him? We met again it, was, it sounds exotic we met in Switzerland I, there's um, a, every January it's coming up now actually Davos people might see it covered on the TV like Leo Varadkar will be going this year yeah. it's a big meeting of business leaders and politicians that takes place in, in this lovely town in Switzerland the movers and shakers go and the media I covered it for the Irish Times there was only one of us and of course there was about 40 people from the BBC there uh, and then on the last evening because it, it's very it's very upmarket so the journalists are very much at the bottom tier 
and uh, I met him through work there. So yeah, so uh, so out of forty, this yeah, this guy <laughs> Australian yes. said, "Oh, you're interesting." <laughs> yeah. Uh, so um, you are going to live? Are, are both you going to live in yeah, Washington? In Washington, yeah. He's gonna. He's been working for the BBC for years, but he's more on the TV side. So that's kind of interesting because we're both in media, but slightly different, which I think is great. Is good, and sometimes I do TV, and he's always very good on the. Uh, with the advice on that um, but yeah he'll be based with me now in Washington and I'll be there for another few years at least at least more two years we'll see what happens after that but between Australia Trim Brussels Washington I'm I don't know where we'll end up thinking from Trim to Timbuktu <laughs> yes you have so many connections like a, like a web around the world I, I say this to people I meet here and I just sense it from you the minute we met just a short while ago and as soon as you started uh, talking to me you are passionate and love what you do yeah I do I do love it and I appreciate it every day I really do um, I, I've, I like writing and I like I like the fact that I, I mentioned earlier I did a, a PhD which is a very specialised piece of work over a number of years and I, I don't think that suited my kind of my personality I I, pref- I like about journalism that it changes every day and that there's always something new you have to be interested in the next story and in meeting people like the old saying is true you're not going to get on by sitting at home you have to go out to everything meet people be interested in people but that's true I don't remember my background growing up here in Trim I did a lot of like sub- uh, substitute teaching in some of the schools um, very involved kind of in the local community to my mother and everything and that's very important that you're out there meeting real people all the time and you know this kind of background I think Ireland is, is very good for that um, that you know as a journalist you can never kind of be struck in, in behind walls because you're supposed to be reflecting the world you're writing about So isn't that interesting in the world of today where social media and you know it yourself Twitter Instagram Facebook all the online stuff is, is very important to be tuned into everything mm. every minute of the day but that's so interesting mm. that will never change what you said there yeah. out pressing the flesh being yeah. with people mixing about Yeah and that is that because you, you do you reflect who you're writing about and if you and, and social media is dangerous because you can get into this tunnel vision the echo chamber as it's called uh, but you know most people are not on Twitter essentially so you can't kind of lose sight of that so I think you do always no more than a politician be tuned in to what, what's of you know what's of significance to people what they want to find out about and I think there is a place I'm kind of positive about newspapers at the moment that people want particularly when there's so much going on in the world Trump and Brexit they want a synopsis they want an going right what is going on here in an accessible kind of digestible way because there's too much information sometimes now and conflicting information and, and fake news most of it by, by people like Donald Trump unfortunately with the wrong information that I think there is now it's given a boost I think like in America the New York Times and all those papers have had a huge increase in readership since Trump so this is again one of the great ironies that isn't it funny that even when he leaves office actually he will have succeeded in helping newspapers even though he has criticised them at every single turn I think people now see the value of news and, and news channels more than ever isn't that just great to reflect on that? And may I say as well, you write for a brilliant newspaper and there are a raft of newspapers. I'm not into the comics or the, the you know, the yeah. picture ones and all this uh, show business stuff and that nonsense that goes on. But I, I love a good newspaper and I always will love it. I have to say that and I just love to take it up and take my time yeah. and read it. And I know they're online and everything like that. Yeah. And the younger generation, well, that's where they get their news yeah. that has to be developed, I'm sure, yeah, as well. Exactly. But you're cognizant of that, that you're newspaper that you write for is really well regarded. Yeah, it is. And I have to say, I'm very lucky, particularly in Brussels, I saw frankly, you know, British journalists that were 
would be writing their articles at the European Commission and they'd ring London, their editors, and they'd be more or less told what to write. I mean, that's exactly what's happened to a lot of those newspapers. They're anti-EU. I never had that with the Irish Times. They're given great freedom as a journalist. No one would ever really... I mean, they question on certain things, obviously, but no, I would never be told editorially uh, what to write, to take a slant, etc. So I find that a real freedom and it's very important to have that kind of neutral perspective to try and just tell it what it is and try and analyse and make it accessible for people. So will it be Dr. Suzanne <laughs> McFarlane? Are you taking oh, the name? Oh, no, no, it's too, no. No, I know for not. a journalist, that's a funny thing either. You yeah, can't. You can't you have really to keep your name, your name is, don't yeah, you? It's exactly. So you no, the, lin- the lynch is staying, yes. So that is not going to go anywhere at all. There are more messages coming in. Shout out to Suzanne Lynch. Don't let her forget about our father's connection to Minolte. Yeah. Continued best he, wishes. Ah, oh, very nice. Yeah, my dad is from kind of Carlinstown, Minolte area. I think he's down there today, actually. So, yeah, that's where there he's from. There you go. Nice to hear from you on late lunch this afternoon. I will let you go at last. We've uh, talked and I'll tell you one thing. The last while has just flown by. Brilliant to meet you on the show today. We'll keep in touch. We may give you a tinkle from time to time. I'm sure you'll be back to me again to talk more in the future. But congratulations on doing a fine job in Washington for the Irish Times. Long may it continue. And best of luck to yourself and Barton with the marriage coming up in March. For the moment, Dr. Suzanne, (laughs) thank you for joining me on the show this afternoon. It's been a real pleasure, Suzanne Lynch. The Late Lunch with Blackstone Motors. Order your Renault 191 today and avail of low APR finance, cashback and three-year servicing. Visit Blackstone Motors today or see blackstonemotors.ie. Yeah, something happens on Late Lunch this Friday afternoon in Parachute 1990. Can you believe it when that was first released and a big hit for them uh, there? But classics are timeless, aren't they? That's for sure. You're with Late Lunch on LMFM Radio this Friday afternoon. Still to come on the show, comedian Fred Cook. Yes, he's part of the lineup in Dancing with the Stars. He's training hard and we're going to be talking to him after three o'clock on Late Lunch this afternoon. And just reminding you, yes, it's a big year for Late Lunch. And a big time because on Monday, the 7th of January, Late Lunch celebrates its 10th birthday. A decade on the air we are. And we're having a very special show for you on Monday, coming live from Bellingham Castle, where incidentally, five years ago, we celebrated our fifth birthday. So we're delighted to be going back there on Monday. We have invited people back who are with us on the very first show 10 years ago. Our regulars are joining us on Monday as well. Mr Keith Barry will be the star of the show on Monday and Pat Coldrick, classical guitarist, is providing the music and we're all looking forward to a big celebration on Monday. So make a date of that and make sure to join us for a very, very special late lunch show on Monday and one Miss Deirdre Hurley will be returning to the show on a once-off basis with us on Monday as well. Now, I want to uh, cast your mind back uh, a couple of months ago on Late Lunch because I was joined on the show by a wonderful lady called Anne Grant and she spoke to me at length about her dad William Courtney and she's back on the line with me this afternoon for a particular reason. Anne, good afternoon to you. Good afternoon, Jerry. Thank you for taking my call again today and I know this is a bit of a surprise. You weren't expecting this. Anne, would you just remind our listeners in a few lines about your dad, William Courtney, who he was, what he did. He was a journalist, and he was a, a journalist. He was a correspondent with the Americans during the Second World War out in the Philippines. And he took pictures and recorded events that are unique. Nobody else did this but him. 
No, that's right. He was the first British journalist to be allowed to work with the Americans during the Second World War and the first one to film it in colour. And you have been living in the North East for quite a number of years now. How long are you again? Remind me, how long are you living here? 47 years. 47. You're near the half century, Anne, at this stage. Now, you did tell me when you were with me that your dad wrote a book and the name of the book is? A.M.M. Friday. Now, this book, you had a copy of it, yes, in your family. I did, and I lent it out. I can't remember who I lent it to now. A long time ago, and I never got it back. And I did, on air, I don't know whether I said it on air, but I know when you were leaving that day, I said to you that I'd try to locate a copy of the book, Anne, for you. Wasn't that right back then? I did mention yes. that to you, yeah. Yes, you did, yes. Well, I was you hoping did. to have the book for you for Christmas, Anne, and look, it just didn't happen. But can I tell you this, Anne Grant? In my hand today, it came in in the post yesterday, I have a copy of Airman Friday by William Courtney. Have you? Oh, God, that's marvellous. I have, Anne. I trawled uh, these islands and I found a collector in the UK who had a copy of this book. And I have it here in my hand. And I have to say, it's in very good condition uh, for the years it's been in publication. And I just see here, uh, there's a dedication on the front of it, uh, of the book itself, handwritten there. And uh, the foreword is by the Marquis of Derry, who who writes this uh, on the lead into this book. And it is your dad's own book, in one piece, with all the pictures. And Anne Grant, it's yours. Oh, thank you, Jerry, very much. I also want to thank you for the tape. Oh, I listened yeah. to yeah, the, the tape with the recording I did on the broadcast. Yes, I sent it to you as well. The, the, you got that, the CD as well. So that's yours as well for posterity yeah. to keep. But Anne, look, I have the book here. I was thrilled when I found it and it came in. Just with the Christmas post and that, obviously it got a little bit delayed. But as they say, better late than never. This book oh, is yeah. yours. So there you thank are. You. you can keep thank this you. now and, and, and enjoy it again and keep it safe for all time, Anne. Is that OK? Oh, I will. Yes, I will. Thank you very, very much. Not at all. I wanted to just tell you today on air and wish you all a happy new year in the Grant family. Thank you and the same to you. Take care Thank of yourself you. Anne. Thank you. Thank and I'll you. arrange to get it to you Anne. We'll be in touch. Okay, we'll make sure that that book is yours. Take care of yourself. That's Anne Grant there and uh, I love it when a little story comes together like that. It wasn't easy to get this book because it was published way, way back so it was uh, in the 30s so it was but a collector had it in the UK and I have it here and you know what? It's a marvellous, marvellous book to have and I know how much it means to Anne Grant as well to have this back in her possession, her dad's book. William Courtney Airman Friday is the name of the book and it is Friday of course on Late Lunch on LMFM Radio Uh, School's out well they are for another few hours because they're back on Monday oh my god Louise have you noticed the quietness on the roads I'm sure you have on the way in and out here the last few days Have you not noticed I've been early? (laughs) Yeah I'm always late I always blame the traffic I know but like it's even the same from where I am it's a dream at the minute everyone I think most people in the world have taken the extra days have they off to make it a big long break at 
get the Christmas and New Seems Year. Seems so. We'll, we'll get a shock on Monday. Oh, we'll find on out. Monday. We're in for a, a wide awakening, sure, when the schools are back. But that's it. Life goes on. They're back at school. And I know people will get back into the run of things then at that stage. But there you have it. We bemoan the quietness of the roads come Monday as we all oh, try to get. We don't have to do the M50. Though. Oh, aren't we, uh, Louise? A car park. I think that's the best description mm. of it uh, on busy times. I've even heard that people are going to work now at 5 a.m. in the morning. Oh, uh, yeah, to, just to escape it. Just to beat the traffic. It's so busy with full employment and the country buzzing again. I don't envy anybody who has to do that M50. That is for sure. Anyway, we're heading to news and sport at three o'clock on late lunch. And afterwards, we'll be dancing with a star, the one and only Mr. Fred Cook. The Late Lunch with Blackstone Motors. Order your Renault 191 today and avail of low APR finance, cashback and three-year servicing. Visit Blackstone Motors today or see blackstonemotors.ie. Yes, it's back. Dancing with the Stars on RTE. One of the biggest hits of the year begins this Sunday evening with a two-hour special show. Six women and five men battling it out to win the Glitter Globe. Last year, if you remember, here on Late Lunch on LMFM, we backed Deirdre O'Kane all the way to the final. And guess what, folks? We have another representative from the Northeast battling it out again this year. This time, it's a man. He's well known the length and breadth of the land. He's one of Ireland's funniest men. Fred Cook is on the line. Afternoon, Fred. Jerry, you're very kind. Great to hear from you. Not at all. I'm in good form and I'm sure you are as well. Well, the first question I have to ask you, has this been your life's ambition? Do you know what? I've always wanted to do Dancing with the Stars, like, Two years ago I applied for it, I didn't get it, and then last year I applied for it. But like the even cert, third time lucky. And you're in now, and you're among the runners and riders that begin on Sunday evening. Have you been preparing much? Has there been a lot going on in the last few weeks? I've my first dance ready. And that's going to be Sunday night. And uh, I've been told my second dance. So it's, uh, it's very exciting. Obviously I've never done anything like this in my life. You know, it's rare you get to work with so many professional dancers and have such a laugh. So it's so I'll be needing your votes. Yes, you know, and I'm, uh, you know, and I, Deirdre, she was phenomenal last year. You know what I mean? So inspirational, in fact. So I'm, I want to take her technique and try and try and do my best with it. <laughs> Good man, Fred. That's why you're with me today because we're going to follow you all the way on this, and let's hope you go all the way like Deirdre did last year. She set the bar very high, I have to say. Now, do you know you you do know your professional partner? We don't know, do we yet? The public. It's going to be announced tonight at half eight. Okay, on uh, on the RT show Can't Stop Dancing. That's right, and that show will be on each week as well. So all will be revealed tonight who your partner is, and we can't break that until that goes out live uh, this very evening. Are you happy with her? I couldn't be happier because she's the right of mind of I've such a bad I've such a bad attention span so I constantly need to be brought in all the time and she's brilliant at that and because I'm a comedian as well Jerry I'm always a bit worried that it'll be too silly too stupid I want people to see that I appreciate the structure of dance and I've learned that and then we can put all the slapstick and all the silly on top of it but what you're going to see Sunday night is probably a side of me you've never seen which is a man who exhibits technique and structure that <laughs> I've never shown before. <laughs> would, you, would, would you describe yourself as nimble, fleet of foot? 
Exactly, yeah, yeah. But it's uh, Twinkle Toes Kooky. That's what it's called over Christmas. <laughs> but listen, in your past, did you ever do, I'm just thinking, did you ever Irish dance or do anything like that growing up in Kells? Never, never. Uh, in Kells Swimming Club now, I definitely moonwalk down the uh, the aisle of the swimming pool. Beside <laughs> the pool on the deck. So, uh, that's the only time I achieve something as, as far as swimming. And, uh, and uh, you know, when it came to, hopefully now, you know, and then I probably took up in my late teen years, I started dancing in the vibe in Kells. Right. So hopefully now, hopefully now, compared to the vibe and dancing with the stars, hopefully I don't get kicked out of this one as quick. <laughs> I think people have fallen off their chairs in the Kells area <laughs> as they recall those scenes in the vibe of you strutting your stuff, Very good. Fred. <laughs> But will I say this to you? We had Suzanne Lynch on the show with us uh, earlier on, uh, Irish Times correspondent in Washington, and she said yeah. to mention to you that you know her mum, Jane Lynch. Oh, a senior teacher. Yes. Amazing, yeah, and she's from Trim. I know her, and I know her son, Vinnie Lynch, as well. He's the most gifted musician I've ever met. They're an incredible family. Yes. Unbelievable. Well, she was with us for a, a long conversation. She's home from the States on holidays, and we were talking about the political thing over there. And she said just leaving, I see you have Fred on later on. Mention my mum to him. Yeah, that's amazing. I probably sang with her when I was a kid. That's fantastic. Yes, she said that. She said, we know he can sing. Well, I said, mm. uh, look, Suzanne, that mightn't be much use for the next few weeks in RT. <laughs> he better be know, able to yeah. dance as well. <laughs> but isn't that lovely, about, isn't that lovely, Jerry, about Ireland that it's so small in ways, especially around yeah. the Eve area? I mean, there's always a bit of fun about the dancing curse here that people end up having affairs, uh, secret affairs with shows. But, you know, you can't, you can't have any secret affairs in Ireland. You, you'd be like, you know, such and such is kissing someone else. You'd be like, I know, it's my cousin. I know. <laughs> <laughs> I introduced him, for God's sake. It, it doesn't happen in Ireland. Doesn't it not? No, listen, you're, you're so right. You are so right. It's a small <laughs> community and everybody knows Absolutely. everybody. Now, here's the thing. I was just having a little look at the runners and riders. There are five boys and six women. And the other guys you're up against, if we want to look at the boys first, mm. Peter Stringer has to be a fit little fella from the rugby. Yeah, he's unreal oh. and he's, he's very determined. I'm sharing an apartment with Peter Stringer at the moment. Right. And it is the saddest sight to see him leave the shower and then me enter the shower with a towel around me. It gives me real perspective of my own physical situation at the moment. <laughs> He is so fit. I don't even think he eats breakfast. He just lives on protein. (laughs) Protein He is is fit, Fred. And as well, Dennis Bastic, of course, from GAA fame, Dublin as well, another fit guy in there. So you're up against it against the lads. But here's the thing I want to tell listeners. I want to give you real hope, Fred Cook, because your odds began at 33 to 1. But today you can only have 14 to 1 on Mr. Fred Cook. So what's going on? I don't know. Hopefully, word is spreading in a positive way. Like, uh, you know, th- but this is why your station, uh, like, I've always loved Adam FM, and I've told you this before, you know what I mean? Like, finding out I had no school and no snow, and you were the guys who sent the message home. But I'm waiting for new, the whole good news I want now is hopefully I can win this competition. But I cannot win this competition without the Mies region. Yes. Without Mies, without Navin and Kells. I mean, you look at Dennis Bastic there, he's a Dublin tribe. So uh, to go against the Dublin tribe, you know, tribes have to, uh, uh, hopefully I've got a bigger tribe. I don't know if they do or not. You know, you're going against Peter Stringer, who's this phenomenal co-figure of rugby. He's and a, and a gentleman as well. Like So yeah. So, so I'm really dependent, like Deirdre as well. I'm looking for R.D., Navin, 
you know, Kells, Ralph Malone. All two people in Ralph Malone. I hope they vote for me as well. That's very important. Every voter in Ralph Malone counts for Fred Absolutely, absolutely. And I want to throw the net wider. Like last year, I have to say, we are LMFM, loud than me. I want everybody in loud than me. Loud people, come on, let's support our neighbour, Fred Cook in this mm. one. Get right behind him. Up to Carlingford, Dundalk, RD, Drogheda, out to the coast, Laytown, Bettystown and County Meath. We want you all to get behind this man and vote for him and push him all the way because it does come down. It's about the public vote, Fred. That's it. 100%. That's it, you know. Uh, so, and that's, that's what I need, you know. So it's... Uh, uh, so I can really, if you know, in the late 80s, uh, I remember in secondary school, and uh, it was wonderful when Meath had success against Cork, you know, 87, yeah. 88. And I supported Meath all the way, and I think it's time for them to return the favour. That's all I'm saying. So we need it. I'm sure they will. Now, here's the thing. It starts on Sunday, and it runs for about 12 weeks. Um, you will, nobody will be eliminated for the first two weeks. So that gives yeah, everybody exactly, a yeah. chance to settle in. That's, that's great, isn't it? Well, the thing is, no one's going to be eliminated, but voting still counts. Yeah. People are still voting in, yes. and it's like, God forbid, it's like a school, continual assessment. Remember that? <laughs> yeah, I do. That's what it's like at the moment, that my votes uh, this Sunday will be counted alongside my votes from the week. So uh, so from the get-go, I still, I still need okay. it, but I'm guaranteed three weeks, but yes. hopefully I'll, I'll get more. Oh, Fred, come on, come on. Please, no. don't, don't, we don't want to hear, we don't want you to be the first one out of the competition no, that can't happen no absolutely not you know no god no and we want so you to well, go further in, in secondary school I was always the last picked for a football team oh never so I don't I don't want to be the first pick to leave either no definitely so not but look you're so well known you have such a great public profile as well and people love you the length and breadth of the land I'm sure you're going to get more votes from all over the country as well but I do say we will say that again get voting from the get go he needs all the votes from the very start to keep him in there with the others there are some very high profile ladies 100%. in there Holly Carpenter yeah, yeah. I think Holly Carpenter is one of the favourites is she to win this absolutely yeah and well do you know because her dancer uh, Curtis unfortunately like uh, he, he was in a fight over Christmas so mm. he, he, he she's had a replacement dancer that's right who came in uh, who came in we just all met him uh, yesterday for his first time wonderful Australian guy yeah so uh, so that's it you know what I mean so yeah. when, when he returns you know what I mean it is kind of triumph over adversity and yeah. all that. So I, I, I saw that story about Holly's partner. Now, they were set upon. They were out for a night himself yeah, and a friend of his, and it was shocking. Yeah. Anyway, but anyway, she has a replacement in there. But she's one of the, one of, one of the favoured ones. So I take it you've all met already, and is there a bond forming? Oh, it's great. It's great. Now, and you know, the thing is, I was actually getting a bit worried. I said, this is really good. I mean, it felt like for the first two weeks, like it was just an induction. We were meeting everyone. It felt like a school tour. We were being put in buses and sent places. Mm-hmm. And it was great crack. But And then when the first week starts now, this Sunday night, like the, co- the competition is starting now. It's real. Uh, but I don't think the competitive element of it is, is becoming toxic. Yes. By anyone, you know what I mean? It yeah. really just seems to be great fun. Like, I can see Ailish O'Carroll leaving the studio now, you know what I mean? And it's, uh, you know, from, 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 the, from the ground up, as that would say, it's just wonderful. There's no time for bad apples because it's too hard. There's too many people trying to do a good show. Yeah. 
I, I understand that everybody wants to do their very best and put the best foot forward Absolutely, as well. Yeah, yeah. Well, anyway, look, we're with you. I want to say that. That's why I'm calling you today and I know you're working hard there. We're with you on Late Lunch on LMFM. We're getting behind Fred Cook and Dancing with the Stars this year and we're yeah. going to try and push you all the way. So we'll tick-tack with you as the weeks go by if that's okay. Please do, Joe. You know, and I've, over the years, you know, been on your station as well with Seamus as well. I have so much love for the station and so much personal regional crack with you guys. Do you know what I mean? And it's, uh, and I can't get to those people only. This is my only channel. So thanks for having me on your show and please do get voting for me. Not at all. To win it. We'll get this going across the board starting with the boys Seamus and Christy in the breakfast as well when she really kicks off and we're right behind you and only too delighted we are. Fred Cook, best luck. Thank you, Jerry. Take care. Look at the stars Look how they shine for Yes, Chris Martin and the boys there, yellow from Coldplay, aren't they? Just fantastic. Happy New Year to you too, Liam. Thanks indeed for your message. Just got it there now on the uh, text machine and uh, I'll get back to you on that, I promise you. Uh, Just want to say a big thank you to uh, all our guests who uh, joined us on the show this week, uh, to our regulars who will be joining us over the weeks and months ahead and especially to you, our listeners, who tune in every single day to join us. Big thanks to Louise Walsh and Sinead Brazel who helped me put the show together this first week of the new year thank you so much indeed and again just to remind you that Monday is a massive day for us here on Late Lunch because it is our 10th birthday show coming live from Bellingham Castle yes the beautiful Bellingham Castle in County Loud and uh, joining us uh, very specially on the day is a man who's become a good friend of mine Mr Keith Barry will be with us on the show on Monday Pat Coldrick has been with us through the years will play we're bringing our regulars to Castle Bellingham uh, lots of other people who are friends of the show and we're really looking forward to Monday and celebrating 10 years and of course I will say again that Mr Deirdre Hurley uh, my original producer is returning on Monday on a one-off basis as well and lots more people besides and what a great day in prospect there that's for Monday the weekend is ahead the short week is over hope you have a lovely one school's back on Monday and we're back into the real humdrum of the year at that stage Eddie's up next with the drive but until Monday for myself Jerry Kelly have a lovely weekend enjoy the last of the holidays and do join us from 1.30 Monday Castle Bellingham it's 10 for late lunch see you then late lunch with Blackstone Motors order your Renault 191 today and avail of low APR finance cashback and 3 year servicing visit Blackstone Motors today or see blackstonemotors.ie hi I'm Daniel founder of Pretty Litter did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain I learned this the hard way after losing my cat Gingy so I created Pretty Litter a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. And if you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. It streamlines your processes to make your business more efficient, which makes you less busy. Mail checks, invoices, legal documents, and everything you need to keep your business running with Stamps.com. Seamlessly connect with every major marketplace and shopping cart. 
Schedule package pickups and see your cheapest and fastest shipping options from different carriers. With rates up to 89% off USPS and UPS rates. And with the Stamps.com mobile app, you can take care of mailing and shipping wherever you are. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Sign up with code PROGRAM for a 4-week trial, plus free postage and a free digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. That's stamps.com. Code program.